Hello listeners, it's Adrian here from Arcade Attack, and today I'm joined with a really special guest, Alex Hall, the author of Ben Drowned, one of the most famous creepypastas ever written, based around a haunted Majora's Mask cartridge. So guys, sit back and enjoy a great chat with a true gaming legend. Welcome to Arcade Attack. A retro gaming podcast for up to four players. Hello listeners, welcome back to the latest Arcade Attack podcast. We've got something a little bit different today. Uh, a while back we did a podcast, uh, we actually did an audio podcast on Ben Drowned. We actually went through the famous creepypasta and I managed to find, it took a little bit of digging around the internet, but the actual author of that famous creepypasta and he's actually here today. So Alex, Alex Hall, <laughs> it's a real pleasure to introduce you. Uh, I'm used to talking to like, pre- like people working in the gaming industry, but I think this is a brilliant story and I can't wait to hear much more about you and, 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 and Ben Drowned and so forth. So how are you doing, Alex? <laughs> Adrian, thank you so much, man. I'm really happy to be on here. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm super flattered that you're, you take an interest in the story, and I, I'm happy to be here and talk about it. Uh, before we go into it, then, let's, let's get a bit, little bit of history about you then. What were your kind of earliest memories of gaming while growing up? And actually, obviously, you've written a few stories. So was gaming and, and literature always you two of your big loves growing up then <laughs> um yeah i guess you could kind of say i was an early adopter of that sort of stuff i remember uh getting a nintendo 64 for christmas sometime oh, god it was probably a mic of the days wrong but like maybe 96 97 and i remember getting that that star wars shadows of the empire game and oh my gosh i would just play that forever that in uh super mario brothers and um it was uh, something about it just like it just really hooked me. Just like going in a different world, being immersed in that sort of, you know, environment. It, it was such a, you know, therapeutic and kind of uh, cathartic uh, experience. And I think my parents didn't really understand that. <laughs> they were like, well, why is he spending so much time playing video games? And I don't know. I, th- I just really like the storytelling and the imagination part of the whole uh, experience for it. Excellent. I mean, I'm I'm a fan of the N64. I know it gets a little bit of hate these days. Uh, it's not, oh, it's I great, like, man. I, I like it. Yeah. And um, we're talk about it, but was your first Zelda game Ocarina of Time actually? Was that the first Zelda game you oh, played? Oh yeah, yeah, you bet. Um, it was funny. Game. I I used to be really uh, a chicken when I was playing those games because I would I would play through the dungeons, but then I would always have my friends fight the bosses because I I would get too scared to fight the actual bosses of the really? game. And um, I remember we were going on some sort of a camping trip or RV trip, and I brought my Nintendo 64. And I'll never forget this because I didn't have any friends playing with me at the time because it was just my family on this camping trip, and I had to fight the, uh, oh, God, that jellyfish monster. It's the last one you fight as a kid in uh, Ocarina of Time. I had to fight him by myself, and I beat him, and I was just jumping up and down yelling and my parents had no idea. <laughs> it's like we might have to put him in a special school or something. But like, <laughs> yeah. I, I personally regard that as probably my favorite game of all time. Actually, it's absolutely incredible. The memories for me as well, quite similar to you. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, man! What? How blessed are we to be like that? Is like one of our first experiences in gaming, like as as, as kids. It's like so- that's awesome. Um, just really turn the interview in the head, actually, because uh, really flip it around a bit. Uh, creepypastas, uh, I know a little bit about them. There might be a few listeners that honestly don't know what that means. They might be thinking we're talking about some really scary Italian dish. But <laughs> do you mind? That's a bad joke. But do you mind just explaining what they are and how you kind of first heard about these kind of weird internet stories? And and um, yeah, maybe you could try and explain it a bit more to our listeners. Yeah. So uh, creepypastas are. I find it's best to kind of compare them to like, you know, when you would have like a sleepover and you would all like share ghost stories around a campfire. It's like that, but like magnified to a a digital uh, age sort of thing where it's like, you know, you're basically swapping these stories that, you know, let's be real. You've made them up, but you're swapping these stories trying to scare, you know, other listeners. And like, that's what creepypastas 
essentially were. And I remember stumbling upon them. Uh, I believe it was winter of 2009. They were on like they were very kind of it was before it was even called the creepypasta at this point. And I just remember being really fascinated by the creativity because for me, some of these ones that I was reading, like there was one, um, oh my gosh, I, I swore I wouldn't forget these names, but there, there was one about uh, Oblivion, about uh, this, you know, mysterious file that only booted in, in DOS mode. And there was this other one about a Russian game that they were just doing these really interesting things on a psychological level that were more frightening and more compelling to me than like actual horror based video games were. So it really stuck with me. Would you say that Slender Man, is that right? That is probably the most famous creepypasta. I think a lot of people would have heard about him. Oh right? yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, that's definitely like, that was, I think that started on the something awful forums in maybe 2008. So that, I think that predates, that's like the grand granddaddy, <laughs> the whole creepypasta thing. <laughs> And uh, you hinted there that there were a few already based on video games, but um, how did you get inspired to write your own one? Did you have any, uh, we'll talk about Ben Ben Drown very soon, but was there any ideas floating around your heads? Was it something you really wanted to get involved in or was it more organic kind of thing? So there was this uh, board uh, devoted to the paranormal. It was an image sharing website where people would just basically write these stories and they were just, you know, short forms, like let's say two or three paragraphs and, you know, that would be it. Like they would just post them anonymously and they would and people would kind of rate them and kind of give feedback and that sort of stuff. And I kept on rating them because they were really interesting. They were just doing again like they were doing really cool psychological things in a way that I hadn't really seen horror games, you know, do. Um, and there's a lot of great creative, unique ideas there. So I, I kept on looking at some of them and started like it, turning the gears in my own head like, OK, you know, I've always loved writing. I've always enjoyed writing. And I, I'd like to think I have a, a good imagination or a decent imagination. So, like, what if I wrote something like that, what would it be about? And what would I choose uh, as the base game for that? Because I like the idea of, you know, a messed up kind of haunted video game. Definitely. Well, let's let's talk a bit more about uh, your inspiration for Ben Drowned. Now, there's people... Again, probably listening, don't know anything about this, but it's it's based, um, it's very hugely based about a certain Zelda game, Majora's Mask. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah. So I, I like, I have to say, I, we'll, we'll talk about the story in a minute, but Majora's Mask is a very good game. It's probably maybe the darkest Zelda game. The quite, you know, what's your personal views about that particular game? Because I like <laughs> it. It's not my favorite, but I do respect yeah. it. No, I, I got a little bit of that. I got a little hint of that in the questions that we read beforehand. You didn't seem to like the time aspect of it. Yeah. Um, I That is a totally fair complaint. Um, I know a lot of people that did, really didn't like that whole thing. But um, I personally really enjoyed it because it was just so unique compared to everything else. Like, um, I really enjoyed, like... I'm trying to think of the right way to describe it. it's like almost this the melancholy nature of it the melancholic nature of it where you know it's impossible to beat the game and save everyone on your first attempt like you have to make peace with that fact like when you first are put into the game you you know for listeners who aren't familiar with it you know you start off basically just trying to get the most basic gear you can to survive before the entire world ends within 3 days and at the end of that third day, you know, there's no dramatic battle to fight the final boss because you have nothing available to fight the final boss with. So you have no choice but to use your ocarina, which is the instrument, that, you know, from the first game or whatever, to play the song to send you back in time to then redo it. And, you know, if you depending on how you view, you know, timelines or, you know, parallel universe theory, you know, multiverse theory and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that could be pretty, you know. Uh, morose and it was really interesting to me where it's like every time you know you play through the game you get a little bit closer you know you get you get a little bit more items necessary to you know kind of uh defeat that final boss and i really liked it for the fact that you know i just remember this feeling of like being frustrated more and more and more like every time it was like this constant inevitable 
thing to where I would have to run away at the end of the third day cycle. But I was, it was motivated me more and more and more to, you know, beat this guy finally to get strong enough to get, you know, enough, you know, items necessary to beat this guy. So when you finally are able to confront this, you know, this, this villain at the end of the three day cycle, there is such a sense of like triumph that I didn't personally get from the first game, uh, you know, against fighting Ganondorf. Cause it was like, uh, you know, Ganondorf was like, you know, the, obviously the titular villain and he was, you know, very menacing and evil and, and scared, you know, eight year old Alex, but, uh, that had a more the Majora's Mask villain had a more I guess personal connection with the player instead of having like Gandalf having a more personal connection with Link if that makes sense. I get that. I, I get. I, you know, it's definitely a game worth playing. It's not everyone's cup of tea. Uh, the art <laughs> yeah. style. I love the art style of, of Majora's Mask. Actually, I think it's brilliant. Yeah, I love the look and feel of it. It's, it's it reminds me a bit like Twilight Princess. It's a bit more adult than other Zelda <laughs> games. I think. Um, can you sort of tie in the dots a little bit here, you know, timeline-wise? So you're looking at Creepypastas, you're playing Majora's Mask. Which which was first? And when did when did the two ideas, the kind of worlds collide? You're thinking, actually, this could be a great setting for a, a, a potential ghost story. Um, so I played Majora's Mask probably right when it first came out. Because I remember reading a bunch of articles in Nintendo Power, this old magazine, uh, that would preview the games and that sort of stuff. Uh I was like, oh my gosh, there's a sequel to Ocarina of Time, which I love. So I was obviously, I was like one of the day one adopters of that, of Majora's Mask when it came out. But there was something that was very, like even before Ben Drowned was always kind of a meme. Uh, it was that creepy Link statue. Yes. <laughs> like even, <laughs> and I, and I like was looking at that and I was like, okay, well, that's clearly something there. But if you look around that, too, the rest of the game's environment is just so melancholic. It's so, and I keep on saying the same buzzwords again and again, but, like, really, it is so uh, almost depressing in a deceptive way because even though it is a game meant for children, there are, it deals with a lot of really mature themes, especially in terms of, like, death, acceptance, you know, learning to let go and move on. And, you know, a lot of the things you do as the character in that game are about helping people you know, put their souls to rest and helping them pass on uh, into the afterlife. And uh, I, I thought that, you know, there, there's gotta be something here. There's gotta be a perfect, you know, angle for this sort of stuff. Cause it seemed like the environment and the stage was already set for a really great creepypasta, like a, a haunted story. I just needed to figure out sort of the right approach to it essentially. And when did you start, you know, writing it down? And uh, was it was it first like a, a, a blog? Was it like a, a written thing? So I know you've got some YouTube clips intertwined. So I'd be interested to hear about how it first kind of came about and the ideas of mixing it together with real sort of in-game footage. Yeah. So uh, one of the ways is I, I wanted mine to stand out amidst all the other creepypasta stories that were going on. And I thought about, you know, what they were doing. And I looked at what, you know, wasn't being done. And what they were doing is that they were basically, you know, they were writing short stories. They were saying, okay, here's the beginning of the story, and here's a few paragraphs, and then here's the conclusion of the story. Very clearly defined as a story. So I thought, you know, what if we make it so that I tell this story, but it's I don't reveal it to be an actual story. I pretend I'm actually the character that is having this haunting happen to him. And I go on one of the most popular online image boards for help, um, you know, and what if I not only do I pretend to be telling this in first person as if it's actually happening to me, I also back it up with video evidence of footage that I've modified to make, you know, the game do exactly what I'm writing about. So I think that was really what um, the spark for me was like, I can really put a unique twist on this and almost do it kind of war of the world style where it's like, I'm not going to tell you it's a story. I'm going to, you know, pretend it's real almost. Was it hard making the clips, the, the YouTube clips? You <laughs> know? Yeah. So a lot of that stuff. Um, so it was done in an emulator. It was an emulated version of the Majora's mass game uh, on my old MSI laptop that I had. And, I was utilizing this a device called a, a Game Shark. So 
for you know anyone who was born after you know 2000 who never had a Nintendo 64, um, you could buy this extra cartridge that you literally it seems so silly now, but you would stack it. Um, you'd stack your actual game on top of this other cartridge and make like a little tower, but it would basically inject different parts of code into your game so you could have cheat codes like you know infinite health or you know unlimited lives or all the items, yada yada yada. But what it actually really did, it was this hexadecimal editor that could go into every single part of that game. If you knew the right variables and if you knew the right codes to hit, and you could modify it to do almost anything in terms of like what the original creator, what what the boundaries of the original code was. So you could emulate not only a Nintendo 64 game on your PC, but you could also emulate a game shark. So I basically would go in to this emulated version of this game and play around with different variables in the hexadecimal editor to modify different animations that link would do. And that kind of, I could, you know, change the, the landscape. I could change, you know, the different sky boxes. I could change any kind of scene that I wanted to, um, to basically reenact what I was writing about. Um, it's, yeah. it's very well done. <laughs> I, I have to say, Alex, when I first stumbled across it, I, I was uh, quite. It, was, it did give me a few chills. I'm not going to lie. It, <laughs> oh, it, was, it was quite spooky. <laughs> I have to Thank say. you, man. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, it really was. Um, I, I don't want to ruin the plot too much, but if, if anyone's thinking, oh, this sounds quite interesting, how would you describe briefly, or maybe just the start of the plot of Ben Drowned? I know you've got an update later we can go into, but sure. how would you kind of entice people to give it a go? What was it all about? Um, so essentially it starts off um, as any – it's funny now like looking back on it because it did kind of help set up a lot of what would later become cliches of the creepypasta genre. But it starts off at this old uh, man's garage sale. And this college student uh, comes up and he finds this old uh, cartridge of Majora's Mask. And he takes it home with him. And he starts playing the game and he starts seeing that stuff isn't quite as he remembered it in the original game. Like uh, the characters will refer to him by a different name or weird kind of glitches would start happening. And basically the story of Ben Drowned sort of just takes place of him discovering more and more and more how twisted and messed up this game is starting to get. And it actually starts, you know, beginning to interact with him. It is spooky. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's good yeah. good i'm glad we, yeah we we could we want to talk a bit later about the sort of up you know the uh sort of you know the updated version soon yeah i would love to well obviously I've, I've got to ask you you release this to the wild and you kept your identity secret for a number of years didn't you is that right that's correct wasn't it was it weird was it like quite amazing seeing this thing sort of grow out of nowhere it really did explode didn't it and we kind of tend to go it was me give me the credit or were you just sitting back just going wow what have i created here i'd love to get your, your view <laughs> um it was very very surreal so like when i because the, the way ben drown is told it, it was told through this sort of transmedia narrative where they i would write chapters and then i would have accompanying youtube videos Uh, that would expand upon those chapters. So to get the full experience, you almost would have to follow this roadmap of like, read the first chapter, watch the second video, read the, you know, third chapter, watch the fourth video. Um, But I remember like after publishing the first video or maybe the second one, like refreshing the YouTube count the next day and seeing it, I think it, I think it was at six digits at that point. And I was like, Oh my goodness like i i have stumbled upon something here and uh it it was so very very surreal um like i I don't don't know how to really describe it even you know a decade later it was that i remember that feeling and i remember calling up my dad i'm like dad i you know i think i might have stumbled across something here (laughs) so i explained you know what i was doing and uh we got you know trademarked and that sort of stuff and um it, it, it was such a bizarre feeling, but I definitely was very cautious at first about attaching my real name to the story. Um, I always knew I would do it at some point, but when that initial viral like rush comes at you and comes at you pretty fast, 
you, it, it, you get a lot of people and I have gotten a lot of very, uh, let's say, uh, crazy, uh, <laughs> crazy people that really wanted, um, some bizarre things for me. So I kind of deliberately waited until like the viral nature of it settled down a little bit before I was like, okay, this is me, Alex Hall. I, I wrote this, but, um, yeah, man, I, I could swap horror stories with you. I'm sure of crazy fan letters and stalkers, that kind of stuff. That's, I mean, did you, I mean, you must've read the comments was, I, I again, I assume there's people that maybe even to this day actually think it's maybe true or, can you sort of record any really <laughs> odd comments or you'd have to go in too much detail, Alex, but what was the weirdest things that sort of happened? Oh gosh. Um, I, yeah, I won't mention names, but, um, there was a person who, uh, this is a little bit of spoilers for the first part of the, um, story yeah. of been drowned, but at, at the end of the original story, uh, the plot twist at the very end and how it is left ambiguous was like, you as the reader have accidentally invited Ben into your computer. And as a result of that, I think there was some person in Wichita that like unplugged his router and just like went AWOL for like a week or something like that because he thought it was real. Um, I felt so guilty about that. That's incredible. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It wasn't actually. This is not on my list of questions, out, so I do apologise. But do you know if um, Nintendo ever heard about your story, and did they what, any ideas what the, what their views are? Um, yeah, they they know my story. Uh, some it's like a a weird kind of tongue in cheek sort of thing. Like I remember I did get a weird sort of shout out when the Majora's Mask uh, 3DS trailer came out. Um, I forget where. Let's see here. Like on the YouTube video for the trailer, um, they deliberately cut to a shot of like the elegy, elegy of emptiness statue, which is that creepy link statue, which is represents Ben in the, in the story um, posing in this random place in Akana Canyon, which is a, a map in the game. Now, normally that statue only has one purpose and it's to sit on a switch. That's where uh, I am. So, like there would be no real rhyme or reason to put it anywhere other than a switch. But uh, yeah, they put him posing, I think next to another character in the game, kind of looking at the camera or something. So yeah, I've gotten a little bit of attention here and there from it, but uh, you know, we're, we're kind of nothing yeah. crazy yet. <laughs> I haven't been sued. So I mean, <laughs> that's, that's, you <laughs> that you would like us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have to ask, actually, because I, I read your story initially on a forum, I believe. I can't remember what it's called. Now, it's, you can find it quite quite easy on the internet. But for you personally, where's the best place for our listeners to to really get the best sort of reading and viewing experience of Ben Drown? Is there a dedicated website or a YouTube channel? Could you, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's two, actually. Uh, so if you Google Ben Drown, there's a Wikipedia entry uh, on Ben Drown, and at the bottom of it, there is a fan uh, wiki and this, you know, who knows how Wikipedia works. This could be edited out by the time, you know, this goes live. But uh, just in case, uh, it is called jadusable.withinhubris.com. So that's J-A-D-U-S-A-B-L-E dot within, W-I-T-H-I-N, hubris, H-U-B-R-I-S dot com. And that essentially is... It's run by an amazing guy. His name is Circle Hunter. Um, he has chronicled like literally everything since the original story to the second phase of the story back in kind of 2011 to all the way to the current story right now. And he has done a, a phenomenal job. So if you go there and there's a link right in the front page to find the original story, you click that and it takes you through chronologically of how the posts happened, how the videos were published all of that. Um, I would recommend that. Secondly, uh, there is a YouTube series done by a guy named Ryan Giever or Ryan Giever. Uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I probably mispronounced his name. Um, uh, but he does a, uh, a YouTube version. So if you prefer kind of more of like a long form listening sort of thing, uh, he summarizes the entire story uh, through a series of multiple YouTube videos. That's really well done. Brilliant. I would, 
Alex, so I'd plug our own, our very own audio version of your story now, but don't. It's, it, don't listen to it. What? <laughs> oh, come on. You plug it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, but this is a bit of a personal question, and um, sure. I, I understand if you don't really want to answer it too much, but if you release something online for free and you see it explode, I, again, I'm not trying to – you say you, you think differently, but for me, I might be thinking, well – wow, I could have made this into a proper story. I could have sold it in a book or a novella. Uh, mm-hmm. d- did you make any money out of Ben Drowned? I know, can you talk about that? Or? Um, so I made money off of the, well, no, because I didn't open ads on my YouTube stuff until 2012. So I, I remember at the very end of the story when I kind of like came out and said, okay, yeah, this is a story. Uh, I received a bunch of requests for people like saying, oh, you know, I just want to show my support, give, you know, whatever. And so through, you know, eventually I reluctantly opened up a bit of a PayPal and I got, you know, a few hundred dollars from that. Nothing crazy, but I, I kind of look at it as a, uh, you know, as kind of the the price to entry sort of in a sense. Because, like, I think if I release this as a novella and first of all i don't know how it would work as that because you know obviously you have the youtube videos playing an integral role into the text chapters as well so it'd be a kind of a bizarre uh, way to kind of mesh that all together but um yeah i i don't think it would have gotten as popular i think part of the reason why it really blew up was because you know it was freely available for everyone and it, it that added to the believability that this character was reaching out for help because the whole crux of the story was based around you know, pay me nine ninety nine to find out more about it. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, I kind of look at it as, as the price, you know, the pay to kind of get your name out there. And I, I think it's worked out in my favor so far. Good on you. I appreciate you answering that. Um, yeah, you've got some big news actually. And, uh, obviously Ben Drown, last time we spoke to you in a text interview, we've got a new one actually. We're attached, um, to the, in the show notes, you, you've revitalized Ben Drown. It's coming back. Um, how exactly did this come about? And, um, can you give us a little bit more detail? Yeah. Um, so in all honesty, I should have probably, I've always kind of poised it as a continuation of Ben Drowned, but like really it's a continuation of Ben Drowned in the same vein that like Empire Strikes Back is a continuation of A New Hope. So you have this sort of sequel to Ben Drowned, which kind of goes back and starts to answer some of the lingering questions and like plot threads that were left off at the end of the original story. And uh, it initially started through a series of cryptic videos that cropped up around I would say late March of this year to early April. And uh, it talks about, (laughs) so I'm trying to think how I could choose my words carefully because the story still is ongoing. Um, But this deals a lot more with AI and virtual worlds. And it really starts to extrapolate a little bit upon like, okay, so, you know, why was this cartridge haunted in the first place? You know, why was this character named Ben, playing such a, a you know powerful role in this cartridge you know why did he drown like what's going on so it starts to really go back and answer some of these questions but um with the quarantine happening uh, i stayed at a hotel that was on lockdown so i had an opportunity to do like a really cool sort of found footage uh tribute kind of like slender man a little bit but the first part of the story really starts off with these uh, people waking up, having no recollection of how they got there in this mysterious hotel that is abandoned, essentially. And viewers at the time could inform how they explored the hotel, uh, what items they took with them, uh, what decisions they made there, whether or not to listen to this mysterious voice from a character named Abel who keeps trying to give them instructions or not. Um, it was kind of funny because they have multiple protagonists in the audience got one of the protagonists killed initially uh, because they made the wrong decisions. But I really wanted to revisit that and also play around with um, more viewer interactivity. Cause I think like, you know, with the internet and all these great mediums of storytelling um, I really like it when players and I'd say players, but more readers are like have agency over stories. And I think, you know, with the advent of 
all this you know internet and the transmedia narrative stuff that has been cropping up in the past decade i mean that's more feasible than ever and so i'm jumping all over a little bit but there again there's a summary on the wikipedia but so they eventually uh discover this cartridge that is placed before them that is the same cartridge that uh jadisable uses back in uh, 2010 and they go into it to find that there is almost nothing left. Like, so there has been a corruption of the game files to such an extent that there's only one level in the game left. It's like an empty space. Um, and they essentially find this sort of safe haven with the rest of these spirits trapped inside the cartridge. And it gives them the power to basically travel back in time to before the events of the original story in 2010. And so now this character named Sarah, uh, who's playing the game is trying to go back and undo the events that led, you know, to where the original story picks up at. I mean, it's fascinating. And, um, I mean, it is kind of scary and I, I really, so you're talking about artificial intelligence, uh, you know, different, ways you can sort of end the story and so forth a bit like bandersnatch i don't know if you've seen that Um, oh yeah i loved bandersnatch and that that to me i was like man that's gonna be the thing that really starts to take off but i'm surprised they haven't done anything with that since to my knowledge anyway yeah 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 um oh could you imagine ben drowned on netflix (laughs) that'd be amazing that is how i would do it my man that is how i would absolutely do it i mean (laughs) you said you said that there's different arcs different endings I know the story's not completed yet. I know you haven't released everything, but how many different directions and things can you go into? Have you uh, have you got it all planned out in a big spreadsheet, or how? <laughs> What's the yeah, one? there's there's a bit of a flow chart that I have. Um, I try to follow the the same philosophy as the first time I I started the story back in 2010. Is I I wanted to let it be as organic as possible without it just being chaotic. So there is a there's a definitive beginning, a definitive end. And by that, I mean definitive endings. Like right now, there's three endings that I have in mind with a possible fourth one, depending on how the audience proceeds, because they have a very pivotal choice coming up here soon. Um, But I think part of the fun as a writer and as a a creator is like, you know, rolling with the the punches. Like if if the audience wants to go in a certain direction, like, for example, you know, Sarah can choose to investigate different locations in the game to gather more information, to pick up more items, to try and confront this this force of nature called the Father. Um, you know, I think part of the fun as a writer is the challenge of that is like, okay, you know, how can I, you know, indulge my viewers, but also include some of the plot points? How can I tie some of that stuff in at the same time to keep moving the story forward. Cause there have been some choices that were kind of out of left field a little bit that I was like, Oh, okay, well I can kind of make this work somehow, but um, it's just, it's just fun to have such a personal relationship with the viewer. And I think the people that follow the story, they really enjoy that because I don't know too many other places that kind of give you that sort of intimate relationship with, you know, they're the direct agency rather over some of that stuff, like some of the, the, the plot development of a story. Just to clarify, so w- w- you release new videos and people in the comments, they say you should do this or do this or. How's... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. So um, it started off with a website that I would have people vote on, like by consensus, by this basically like, you know, yep. the options of. You know, do I go here? Do I do this? Do I do this? Yada, yada, yada. Whatever got the most votes would be the decision that would be made. Um, That ended up getting uh, raided by a bunch of bots for people that wanted one decision to win. Um, So I switched to my Patreon, which I have set up because that has a secure, more secure method of voting. But uh, essentially what it is, is that there are certain uh, story branching decisions that uh, viewers are given a list of options to choose from. Typically I'll give them, you know, 24 hours, 48 hours to kind of weigh the options and discuss what the most, uh, you know, what, what, what they think the best sort of option is because a lot of these view videos that I make, uh, it bears, you know, rewatching for little hints and stuff that move forward. Like each video has its own unique set of, uh, ciphers and spectrograms and stuff to analyze that are little clues that can kind of help, 
guide you in the right direction to make the right choices. So oftentimes there'll be a video release uh, and then an upcoming poll that chooses the next direction of the story. And oftentimes people need that sort of extra buffer to, you know, get a clear head and, you know, decipher some of the hidden clues to vote on the direction of the story. It is, it is really interesting. And the clips you make, is it still, I've seen a few of them that they're, they're, they're still from Majora's mask, aren't they? Um, yes. And other bits sort of intertwined as well, other kind of um, text and so forth. It's, it's very well done. Um, Thank you. Is it a one man job or do you have a bit of a team? Um, it is right now. It is a one man job. And, I know you wanted to talk a little about the AI stuff, but that yeah. is exactly because of the AI, uh, the developments that we've made, uh, you know, technologically wise. So, um, I'll jump into that if you're cool with that. I'd love, I love to. Talk- yeah, yeah, I love talking about this stuff, man. It is, it is so fascinating to me because I'm I'm a huge geek and I love this sort of stuff. But, you know, for the longest time, I thought that deep learning AI and neural networks were for you know, industrial automation and that sort of stuff. But lately I began to realize that this stuff has so many applicable uses for uh, content creators and artists. And, you know, what I've been doing is I use several tools. I use this um, deep learning AI called MuseNet. Um, It's created by the OpenAI initiative. Uh, Elon Musk, I think, was one of the founders of the project back in 2015, I believe. But what it does is it will take an existing uh, MIDI file and you can choose to um, iterate upon that based on different famous composers. So it's basically this database of hundreds of thousands of songs and it learns every time something new is submitted. And so you can say, hey, I want to take a MIDI file of you know, why can't we be friends by Smash Mouth and then see what, you know, Beethoven's take would be on that. Um, and it will churn out something like that. And, you know, you can play around with it and tinker with it a little bit to get the desired results you need. But, you know, that to me uh, was an integral tool for me to make my own music uh, essentially for this story. Um, and again, there's another example that I use to help create some of the villains of the story. Uh, this program called Art Breeder. And uh, what it does uh, is, it, you know, excuse the kind of lewd connotations, but it, it, it breeds two images together. So if you take, you know, like a, a cow and a chicken, um, two images of those, and then you mesh them together, it will produce some sort of weird <laughs> looking, you know, frightening sort of thing. And I'm not sure if it's intentional or not, but like as a byproduct, because we are sort of in the rudimentary stages of this technology, a lot of these um, images are, they're very surrealistic. They're very kind of like nightmarish in a weird way. Um, like Uncanny Valley is a big, big descriptor for that sort of stuff. And you can basically modify. So again, like the website is Art Breeder, but you can modify like almost every sort of variable about a portrait. So like if you take your own face facial portrait and you put it in there, you can modify your ethnicity. You can modify, you know, how wide your eyes are. You can modify if you're wearing glasses, your hairstyle, if your eyes are open or closed or smiling. It is so, so cool. And it is kind of a double-edged sword because on one hand, like, I didn't need to hire a composer or a graphic artist to get the results that I wanted to. Um which is a good thing for me, but I can also see that that would be a negative for other, you know, graphic artists and composers. I don't think that we'll ever get to a point where an AI will fully replace the need for either of those things. I I don't see that happening, at least not in the next hundred, 200 years. But um, I think for, you know, content creators that are, uh, you know, on a budget or trying to, you know, do a one man show sort of thing, um, you know, we can't all be Toby Fox, the creator of Undertale. Uh, we can't do everything. Um, but this allows us to basically uh, augment our weaknesses as creators. Like my strength is writing and uh, my imagination, that kind of stuff. Not much of an artist. I don't have much of a musical ear. Um, so it's it's been incredible. And, you know, this it's going to be so crazy when we look back on this in 10 years. And we're going to look back on this kind of technology as almost like, 
oh man it's like a, it's like a ti-89 calculator you know almost in <laughs> retrospect like i cannot wait to see what what turns out with this stuff man it is so cool well in 10 years the robots will be taken over <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, crap, you're um, right. are you a fan of the terminator films then because that kind of reminds <laughs> yeah yeah no, I, I no alex it is incredible um and um i, I get the impression it, it, this is this is the stuff that really interests you and I, I assume it's stuff you, you're looking into the future as well away from benjamin is that fair yeah um so there's different yeah gosh i need to pick my words carefully um Yes, there are definitely additional projects that I'd like to branch out from the Majora's Mask stuff eventually. I, I wanted to tie this story up, and it, it will be tied up uh, by the end of this year. But um, there will be certain uh, ways that people will see how this could be expanded upon in the future. Like it, introducing a more, I know it's all the rave these days, but an expanded universe per se. Mm-hmm. Uh, so leaving some outlets open because of the nature of what is developing now in this new story. And now that, you know, viewers are getting more of an understanding of what is really happening with this cartridge and why it exists in the first place. I think they will start to understand, you know, what, you know, the future could hold for some of this stuff. Love it. I mean, um, I was going to ask, is this story kind of the end of Ben Drown? But you, you made a, well, a very strong hint then it could open up. <laughs> Yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah we'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. <laughs> I, I like your story. I, um, you know, obviously, I haven't seen the, the the finished updated version, like kind of the, the continuation. Mm-hmm. I personally think, and we spoke about this before in a text interview, that it could make a really quite good animation, sort of dark animation, or a, I'm not maybe maybe a movie. I'm not sure, but it could, is that a possibility in the future as well? Yeah, um, I have been in talks. Of, here and there um, over time with a few movie studios. Um, I think the industry is kind of getting now to a point where they are starting to understand, because keep in mind, this sort of stuff is, you know, barely a decade old at this point. This whole genre is barely a decade old. And I think the industry is starting to understand a little bit better how to do it because I know they tried with the Slenderman movie and they just kind of took that concept and said, Oh, well clearly let's just slap on generic, you know, monster movie, you know, horror movie, call it a day when that's not what made Slender Man popular at all to begin with. Um, I think they're starting to have a better understanding of it. I can see the original Ben Drown story working really well uh, as a film or as an animated series or, you know, God, in a dream scenario, like as some sort of, like we were talking about earlier, some sort of Bandersnatch uh, TV show. Like, oh my goodness, I cannot even, (laughs) that is, that is the dream, man, right there. You would um, scare some people, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I always kind of feel guilty about that. Like, I'm glad you, like, people enjoy my work, but, like, I hate scaring people, but, you know, they like it, they like it. <laughs> um, last time we, we, again, this is a while ago, but you said you were working on a movie, uh, like a pet project. Is that on the back burner, or did you finish that? Or what, what other projects uh, away from Ben Drown have you been involved in, or, or, or you're not allowed to talk about it? Um, yeah, so... Part of my uh, process as an author and like as it's kind of like, again, another double edged sword of like getting this sort of big success early and then trying to do a follow up project with it. That definitely presented its own unique sort of struggles with me as a as a writer, as a creator and um, kind of this, you know, because picture this, you know, you're 20 years old, you get this huge hit, you know, you get you know, you're in talks with Warner Brothers or whatnot and it kind of really distorts reality for a little bit there of like what is feasible and what is possible. And I think I had to learn a few uh, harsh lessons, I guess, in terms of what, okay, was realistic and what I need to do and what is what I am capable of. So, um, yeah, I have been working on this movie for a little bit here, and I've integrated some of it into the sequel that of the Ben Drown stuff that I was talking about earlier. Um, and, yeah, it, it's been a really interesting developmental period for me uh, as an author and especially just the revisiting of this whole stuff. What got me sort of, you know, that this attention in the first place has been very humbling and I've just been incredibly blessed and uh, appreciate a lot of the, the, the interaction with the fans, like the discord server that we have is, is 
always a hoot. Uh, I love having the the reaction videos to people watching this stuff, especially the new episodes there. Um, it, it's been it's been really cool, and, and I think the 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 method of content delivery that we've been doing, which is releasing a new video every Sunday, kind of gives us almost like TV show like appeal, yeah. especially yeah. in a uh, in an area where you know everything's on lockdown and nothing new is being made in terms of you know yeah, television that sort of stuff. So it, it's what's, it's been. Yeah. I was going to ask what's the, what's your YouTube channel so people can. Oh uh, yeah yeah so it's just. Uh, jad usable right now so it's j-a-d-u-s-a-b-l-e and i would recommend (laughs) well because it is told like through a transmedia narrative there's no like it's not quote-unquote organized you'd have to go to the wikipedia for that um but yeah that's the channel that it's on and then we have a discord um that's uh the invite code is in my channel description and then the patreon as well is just patreon.com slash jad usable that's typically my handle for almost everything except my Twitter, which is Alexander D. Hall. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. Um, again, I think you've answered this question in the text message before, but if you had to, did you ever have any other ideas for creepy pastors based on video games? Uh, and if so, have you got any ideas? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, uh, yeah, you know, I have a few. Um, some of that stuff is limited by my technical expertise right now but i am working in the very early rudimentary stages and i almost really shouldn't even say this but um i am collaborating with a vr uh project vr studio and uh we're kind of going through some conceptual stuff pitching some ideas back and forth uh there's nothing there's <laughs> nothing concrete yet but yeah, i think I, that's, that's the next that's the next big step i think i have a great great concept for a creepypasta or horror kind of vr experience that hasn't been done to my knowledge so um that's well, always exciting when you when you have more news please get back in touch i, I will absolutely <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. um i know you're the times you know you've got to you haven't got too much more time but i, I you're a big zelda fan like me uh, yeah. Breath of the Wild 2 is probably going to have a different name, truthfully. Could be coming out next year. Were you a fan of Breath of the Wild? And um, if so, and you know, also, what would you like to see in the, the new Zelda game when it comes out? Man, I love Breath of the Wild. Um, it just, it, it's cool to see like Nintendo try their hand at the whole open world thing and just knocking it out of the park completely. Um, you know, I. Those guys are absolute geniuses. I, I don't know how they keep on doing it, just like win after win. But um, if I had my, you know, ideal scenario, man, I really love the the tone and the atmosphere of Majora's Mask. And if they could capture that, because to me, there is something so compelling about like a creepy version of something that is like disguised as like a, you know, as a colorful friendly you know atmosphere so if they could kind of make a more you know in-depth sort of interesting you know zelda game i I, and i would be all over that man i'll tell you (laughs) i'll play it Uh, i like you know it would it would scare me a bit but i'm I'm, um this is a bit of a Get creepy question, but there you go. If you were stuck inside a video game cartridge for a week, I, I'm sure you're not going to say Majora's Mask. <laughs> and oh, you no. had to live, live there for a week and hopefully survive, Alex. Which game would you choose and why? <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh man. So okay, am I guaranteed to survive, or is that up in the air? No. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, how the game is, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> um. Man. I'll tell you what. Uh, Persona 4 came out for the for Steam for the PC not too long ago, and I took a dive into that. And I am not a huge JRPG fan, but I got to tell you, man, that would be kind of fun to live in that sort of world. If you haven't played that game, you should check it out. It's definitely worth. It's about ten years old at this point, but it's it's really yeah, cool. Yeah. Persona. Um, what's the name of the game? Sorry. Alex? Oh, sorry, we were lagging there a bit. Uh, Persona 4. Oh, okay. Yeah. I will check it out. Definitely, definitely. Look, um, it's been a brilliant chat. Um, it's been really fun. Um, again, I appreciate your time today, Alex. I've got one final question. 
Sure. I, I know you, we've asked it before, but you're welcome to ch- change your answer. If you could share a few drinks of any video game character, who would you choose and why? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> you know, Link, Link has come up a few times because he's so quiet. <laughs> what yeah. Thinking about that'd be quite interesting but obviously you don't have to go with that yeah he, he wouldn't be too chatty i don't think <laughs> uh, <laughs> i would go oh man i i would say after seeing that scene in witcher 3 of uh when right before the battle of uh care Morin, i think is the name where they all the witchers just just get wasted <laughs> like before it all their i think i'd have to pick Geralt from the witcher series i think he would have some amazing stories brilliant i think that's a new answer actually i've never had that character before so brilliant oh, cool. um, love it look alex it's been such a good fun chat i really wish you luck i'll put some links in the show notes um to different things you mentioned today uh but yeah it, it, just just google ben drowned check it out it's, it's well worth checking out uh i really really wish you all the luck in the world and uh, I, you know i really enjoyed today's chat thank you Adrian, thank you so much again for having me, man. I really appreciate the kind words, and uh, best of luck to you as well, and all the surviving the quarantine stuff, man. We're all in this. <laughs> I know, right? Um, <laughs> and obviously, there's a, there's a corresponding text interview we did very recently, again, so if you're listening and you want to have a bit more in-depth, if you have a different round of questions, please check that out as well. But Alex, we're, we'll chat soon. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much, Adrian. Take care, man. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get in touch regarding this week's episode or anything else, you can tweet us at Arcade Attack UK, at Keith Barlow82, and at Arcade underscore Adriano. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Arcade Attack UK. Please check out our website at arcadeattack.co.uk for lots of retro gaming goodness, interviews, reviews, features, top tens, etc. And you can also find all our previous podcasts there. Our podcasts are available to stream from the website and are available to download for free from Stitcher, Podbean and iTunes, where you can also leave us a review and a rating, which we would really, really appreciate. So until next time, take care and we'll speak to you soon.